Welcome back, everybody, to Brown Bag Bets, powered by Betsperts. We are your daily dose of quick and handicapping and sports betting picks. I'm Alex Christensen, and as is Tuesday tradition, Andy's over on the Betsperts Golf Show talking about whatever the heck's going on. I don't actually know what golf tournament this week. I know we talked about. Oh, it's, it's the players. Forgot about it already. It's the players. Oh, it is the players. This is a big players. one. This is the fifth major. This is this, this is, is like a big a, it's, one. This is a everyone's one. favorite golf tournament. They always they always pitch it as which it's a lot of fun. Last sport. last year made it so much fun too because I think it was middle of the week. It was their Friday or Saturday. They had the the wacky weather and the the guy shooting at seventeen. Just the wind was whipping and nobody could hit it. And if they were hitting it, it <laughs> was, was kind of awesome. it's kind of half luck and it was just total carnage. And I think it, it yeah it ended up stretching to Monday because one day got completely washed out. So it was chaotic. It gave us Monday golf, and we had, you know, what probably the most entertaining day of, of watching golf with that with people trying to hit it on 17. Uh, so it is it, always a fun tournament. It's great. It's a great course. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows 16, 17, and 18 at TPC Sawgrass, and all the players are there. I mean, it's it's always the best non-major field of the year. As someone that loves watching professional golfers struggle, I mean, the U.S. Open's my favorite. I, I just, like the week before the U.S. Open, those or those few days beforehand, everyone's bitching about the grass being too high and the fescue. I read as much of that content as I can. I soak it all up. And then, like, to watch 17, like you said last year, and I, I know the grounds crew probably tried to do everything they can, honestly, to slow that green down. They just could not get the ball no. one after another after another in the water over and over again all day. It's nice to see them be human. Yeah, and you had uh, I think it was yesterday or yeah it was yesterday after after Bay Hill where Kurt Kitayama won at nine under and Rory was eight under. Rory was you know complaining that the course was playing a little bit too hard and that you know people don't want to see golfers um, golfers comp- you know trying to make bogeys or trying to make par instead of bogey. They want them want to see them try and make birdie instead of par. I love when golfers are struggling to make par because it kind of humanizes them a little bit more and it actually makes that rare birdie like even more special when something and. And also, it's not like this was the U.S. Open at Shinnecock where the winners are trying to, you know, break par and they're, you know, one over, two over, one under, whatever. I mean, the winner was at nine under with a bunch of people at eight and seven. So it's not like it's not like this was, you know, winged foot or Shinnecock where, you know, the five over won the tournament. Yeah. And not all birdies are the same. I'll say, Mr. McElroy, I want one putt birdies. All these two putt birdies. They got the par fives that are basically par fours at this point. It's boring. Even tap-in birdies, kind of, I roll my eyes at. Like, just that's what's more fun. I, I like watching them play on tough courses. I think you're right. All those shots look better. Chip-ins are more fun. You know, when somebody actually puts a ball like within five feet, that is always more impressive. It just ratchets it all up. So that'll be a fun tournament when we're done. That was here. golf make talk. Sure you, make sure you jump over there. Both of us like golf. We don't really know too much about it. I mean, we'll see. I'll find some goofy stuff to bet because I do. I like this tournament. This is going to be a great week. Get the players, all this college conference championships, yep. great tennis tournaments. Uh, the NBA is still going on, and I guess we'll start there. I mean, uh, how are you feeling at this point? I want to check in. You were really optimistic. About oh, no, 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 it's over. We we're dead. It's, it's dead. over. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's, it's totally done. Couldn't even yeah. last no. a whole week. No, and you know what? I, I think I even said it. If I'm, you know, if, if they have a bad week, I'll own it, and I completely own it. I was wrong. I, you know, I convinced myself to get back into it, and they played a couple good games, got me back into it. And now I'm all the way back out. They're done. Let's. I actually want to go the other direction. Let's let's try and get ourselves a top four pick so we keep that lottery pick. 
the Pacers' loss has to hurt because the Pacers have just kind of snookered you guys all year. I mean, the first game, you guys do beat them comfortably, but the last three, it feels like it was all really close games at the yeah. end, and Halliburton just kind of rose above. So the, the, a, the, the previous, this one was tough. The previous two, the Bulls had 20-point leads in each of them and blew the blew 20-point leads in both and just completely collapsed in the second half. This one was at least like – this one was a back-and-forth game, but, you know, you, you look at the box score and – the Bulls shot like 40-some percent from three, which is a lot better than, than they normally do. They shot 61% from the field, I think it was. But Indiana took like 15 more three-pointers than they did. Indiana only shot like, um, like 30-something percent more. from three. But Indiana made 16 threes. The Bulls made 10. The Pacers win by, what was it, three points. Like The Bulls just try and match. Uh, Eli over Bleacher Nation does a great job of covering them. You can read his stuff a lot. Like, the bulls just always try and match three pointers with mid range jumpers. And, you know, I, I'm not the biggest math guy, but you're at a disadvantage when you're trying to make two every time the other team makes three. So that's, that's my, that's Matt's math minute for, for this Tuesday. <laughs> two is Let's not as in. much as three. The good news is Matt, you don't have any bulls games. You could be safe. True. Watching Give me NBA some good basketball tonight. Um, eight games tonight. You know, quickly looking at some of the ones I have not bet so far. Um, Bucks Magic. Uh, Bucks are seven point favorites. Looks like Giannis is going to play. Thought maybe about an under there, but everything looks right. Um, double check the schedules in your models. This is a makeup game. The Wizards are going to play the Pistons. This is a game that got postponed earlier in the season. Um, I believe this was due to travel issues. I think it was Detroit or. Washington got stuck in some airport, so they pushed this one back. The Wizards are eight-point favorites, which looks a little husky, but um, we got away with a push last night on Detroit. I'm not doing that two nights in a row, so I'll let that one go. The Knicks are 10-point favorites, but be careful. Um, Brunson might play tonight. They still should be big favorites, but without Brunson, you definitely can't lay double digits, even against a putrid Hornets team, um, my 76ers, two and a half point underdogs in Minnesota, which tells me Joel Embiid is probably not going to play tonight. Um, that number looks just about right. And then the only other game here left that I don't have a bet for, uh, Jazz Mavericks. Mavericks are nine point favorites over Utah. Sure, that's fine. Utah is basically kind of just losing games at the end here. And as bad as Dallas has been, um, nine points is probably about right if you know you have to scratch the itch for that game maybe that's something like a jazz team total over i mean this mavericks defense has been awful so um all the other games but three plays for me here uh, we'll start with something i know you're gonna like this because everybody likes this and i know i think i'm like two and two maybe two and three on these but it, you know plus 480 plus 500 we're going back to our rockets first half here um again a rockets team that is just writing an absolute how-to guide for tanking this season has just been incredible, um, especially at home in terms of coming out, playing two, even three sometimes, three sometimes great quarters of basketball and just falling apart in the fourth quarter to just an incredible, incredible level here. Um, they host the Brooklyn Nets tonight. They're six-point underdogs in the full game, but still a three-point underdogs in the first half. Happy to play that here. I had this closer to a pick of myself. And then, you know, again, we're going to line up and do this. You can find this. Um, I believe this is under the same game parlay section at FanDuel. Um, that's where I found this one. But every book has some version of this. Rockets to win the first half. Nets to win the full game. Plus 480. Again, um, show a little value here on the Rockets. And instead of just betting the Rockets money line, which I like, I think putting it together kind of in this parlay is much better than what you're going to get, say, if the Rockets win the first half and then you take the Nets money line, put that together. I don't come close to this 480 number. So happy to play that as well. Um, the Oklahoma City Thunder hosts the Golden State Warriors tonight. Yes, Steph Curry is back. Um, 
not that I'm expecting some sort of injury management here, but this would be a game to kind of dial down his minutes a bit. And, and even if he does play here, um, <laughs> sorry, Jason, you got me. That's a very funny question. I'll trust that in a second. Um, <laughs> the Thunder have been fantastic at home. They're a great perimeter defense team. I actually like the way they match up with this Warriors squad. There really isn't a big man on this Warriors team that's really going to punish them. There's not someone that likes to attack the basket that's really going to punish them at the rim. And the Thunder have had success against Golden State this year. I had this game as, you know, maybe Golden State a one-point favorite, something like that. And, and they've been really bad on the road as well. You know, put it all together. I, I love the Thunder plus four here. Um, should be a great game for them tonight. Again, everybody brings their best against Golden State. And then at Grizzlies, team total under 112 there's 112 and a halfs out there i had this closer to 110 almost 109 myself the lakers without lebron james um, have really started to slow down some of these basketball games and anthony davis has been fantastic defensively he's someone that you know had he played more games might have been an interesting candidate for defensive player of the year but probably a little bit too little too late but again in those games we've seen for the last couple weeks the defense of the lakers have been fantastic again davis putting vanderbilt together having beasley out there on the floor just a really a much better unit they continue to strap down on some of these teams and the grizzlies um lost brandon clark for the year you know i know the john morant news takes precedent here but brandon clark's a very important player for them they now miss him they now miss steven adams um, you know, it's just Jaron Jackson Jr. out there by himself. They're really going to have to stretch him thin. You lose a lot of great pick and roll activity. Um, you lose a lot of offensive rebounding there. And with no John Morant, this Grizzlies team has really struggled to score. You know, I look at this matchup. Um, the Lakers should really be able to control this game and keep this Grizzlies team under 110 points. So anything 112 or higher looks pretty good. And yeah, Jason, I don't know. It's really tough. <sighs> John Morant has to sort of figure out what's going on. There's been a lot of news leaking out. There was an interesting um, report this morning that the night he did go out like that, there had been a players-only meeting about not going out and trying to take the season a little bit more seriously. So oh, God, a I lot of egg that. on the on the young, a lot of egg on the young man's face. But he's 23 years old. Take a second, pause, and remember how stupid you were when you were 23 years old. And uh, you know, hopefully in a season where the Grizzlies are sort of falling apart already, maybe this becomes the story as opposed to kind of how bad of a second half they've had. He can kind of get himself together, come back next season, you know, be a better teammate and stuff. And it might be good for the team kind of moving forward, but it's, it's a rough situation in Memphis. And if Morant, I mean, there's again, another report that maybe he had a gun on a team plane, which is just a, a rule in the NBA. I mean, I think that's 50 games. No, you know, don't pass, go go right to jail kind of situation. And the NBA has been good about that stuff. So uh, get away from those Grizzlies. Yeah. It's I, not a story. I'm really going to dive, you know, too deep to it and try to analyze, just hope that John Morant can kind of figure things out, whether that's him doing it on his own, whether some teammates helping him out, whether some veterans sitting him down and talking to him, that guy's got as bright of a future in the league ahead of him as, as, as long as he, you know, keeps his head on straight. Yeah, so hopefully he figures it out. Nothing but positive thoughts there. But, yeah, um, don't get invested in anything Memphis Grizzlies related anytime soon. But the NBA moves on. How much hockey do we have left? Like, uh, We're getting there. Uh, we got about a month of hockey, maybe a little bit more month of hockey left here. I'll get to the, la the last day is like, is like April 13th, April 14th, right around there. So right before tax day. We got up until about tax day. Mm -hmm. Um, I do have a couple of games tonight. I think it's like five or hockey. six yeah, taxes and hockey. They go together like <laughs> peanut butter and jelly. Um, a couple of games that I got tonight. I didn't really love the slate. Uh, we're, we're getting to the point of the year where you're starting to lose a lot of the value on the, on the plus money puck lines. You're not really getting the good, the really good teams against the really bad teams with plus money. 
Like uh, Tampa, I think, is playing somebody bad tonight. It might have been Columbus or another team at the bottom. And, you know, it's minus 140 if you want to get them at minus one and a half. So it's really just not worth it any value there. But I did think I, I found a little bit of value on the, the slate here tonight. First, we're going to take Vegas uh, on the money line at plus 125 against Florida. The Panthers have just been really up and down all season. And I don't really trust them, uh, whether it's at home. Uh, they have been a better team on home ice, but they've been inconsistent in both spots. Vegas is still a team competing for the playoffs. They're going to be in the playoffs. They're going to be a team that has the potential to challenge for the West in a weaker Western Conference, granted. And they're playing pretty decent hockey. They've won their last three games with wins over Carolina, uh, New Jersey, and then Montreal, who's not as good, but still three wins in a row for them. Granted, those were all at home, but they've beaten a couple pretty good teams. So I really like the value there, plus 125. Uh, on Vegas and then we're going to go to Minnesota where the wild will host the Calgary flames flames played last night in Dallas. They did win five to four. Uh, but prior to that, they lost five in a row, which the, the game before Dallas, they lost three to nothing at home to Minnesota. So not really playing well, not scoring a ton of goals. They have outside of last night in the, the previous five games, they'd only hit three or more goals twice. And I don't think it was any of them eclipsed three. So just three or more, just or three goals, just twice. Uh, the rest of the game's under that. Minnesota has been playing some really, really good defense. Uh, they do it all year. It's kind of what they're known for. That's been their brand of hockey for as long as, you know, the wild have been competitive. Um, but they are I'm trying to pull it up here. Uh, the last 12 games, it's been uh, they've allowed three goals or less in all of them. And in 10 of those 12, they've allowed two or more or two or fewer. Excuse me. Uh, they've won four in a row, including that shutout win against the Flames. Uh, they don't score a ton of goals either. Like they're not winning these games five to one, six to one. They win these games, you know, three to one, two to one, two to nothing, three to nothing, stuff like that. So six goals, I think, is a lot for a wild team that's playing at home, probably going to dictate the pace because we have a Flame team that played last night in Dallas, has to travel. Uh, so give me that under. I know there's you're laying a little bit of juice there, but I really like that under tonight. I like both of these. Now, uh, what do you think about the Golden Knights minus a goal and a half plus 240? I mean, if you like a team, we, we talked about this in baseball and it's not quite as much. Um, it's not quite as true in hockey, obviously, because there's a lot more one goal games than there are one run games in baseball. But if you like a team to win a game and that that value pretty much doubles to get you to minus one and a half, you might as well sprinkle it. I'd probably take both to be safe. I'd probably hop on the money line as well. And that way, if it does hit, you double dip. And if it doesn't hit, but they do win by, you know, they win three to two, you're not left uh, feeling terrible. Um, but I, if you like the if you like the money line, you might as well give it a shot uh, on the one and a half. I think I'm going to like put the two together and you can sort of create a minus one. Basically, you bet um, that minus one and a half and whatever the stake is you put there, you put that to win that stake on the money line. So basically if they win by one, you get the money line break, even um, you push basically, but if they win by two, you cash them both. So I like it to that. Let's go, let's go Vegas. And if you, if you're going to gamble, it might as well be on Vegas. It's something poetic about that. Like, yeah. again, we're going to have to bet Calvin Ridley um, comeback player of the year next year, just, you know, out of support for a brother. Exactly. He's uh he's one of us. He identifies <laughs> with us. I hope he finds a way to bet on himself. Um, do you think I he bets on tennis? He should. Everyone Can he? Should. Is he allowed to bet on tennis? Probably. probably. He probably isn't allowed to bet on anything anymore. <laughs> that's probably fair. It's probably a, a good idea for him to maybe not be into that. But yeah, that's a fair yeah. point. Another great week. Again, we've got the fifth major in golf and kind of the fifth major in tennis. I don't know it'd be the fifth. 5A and 5B with Miami basically here, but should be a great week of tennis, even though Novak Djokovic couldn't make it. The men's tournament will be great. A lot of fun players there. The women's side is absolutely stacked. 
Um, Iga Swiatek, of course, the favorite. Um, kudos to anybody. She opened, I think, plus 250 last night. Has been beaten up all the way down to plus 150. So a um, little CLV there. And as much as I like her chances, there's a couple really nice numbers out in the outright market. Um, the tournament itself actually starts tomorrow. There's another round of qualifying. I'll have some picks for that in a second. But three women I really like here. And I'll start with Belinda Benchich. Um a player who has struggled physically over her career, but um, has been doing some different training, seems to be much healthier, much better kind of managing what's going on. And when healthy is, is one of the five to 10 best players on tour consistently. Um, I look at her spot in this draw. Um, she is down. Um, I believe that is in the, she's in the fourth quarter. There has a nice couple first round matches. She should be a, has a buy in the first round. will be a prohibitive favorite. The second and third rounds. Um, then likely faces Coco Goff, uh, maybe Amanda Anasimova, but should comfortably beat either young American. Um, and at that point, she's in the quarterfinals. Now, maybe Australian Open champion Arena Sabalenka is there, but Sabalenka has historically struggled on these courts. They generally don't play well with her style. Um, Krejcikova, who was able to um, get the win, the last player to beat Iga Swiatek, uh, is also down there. So that quarterfinal will be a little bit tough, but... Um, if Benchich can make it through there, it looks like she's in a good spot to make the finals. So like her quite a bit here. We play this at 25 to 1 or better, but there's some 28s out there. Um, and a possible Benchich opponent in the semifinals, Veronica Kudermatova. Um, really love this. If you're looking to bet outrights in this tournament, I think the third quarter is the place to start. And she is by far my favorite name in that quarter. Um, may bet her to win the quarter when those markets open up somewhere, hoping for like a plus 600, something in that range to do that. But again, we'll be a prohibitive favorite here in her first three, four matches. I mean, really, as I scroll down, I don't think that there's you know, anyone that is, has a chance of being a favorite over her until she gets to the quarterfinals. And that would be Jessica Pagula. It'd be a great match. You know, Pagula has been in good form lately. So I expect that to be the quarterfinal. But like Kudamatova's chances in that match, and again, if she can get through, hopefully we have her and Benchic to give us a guaranteed finalist. That sure would be nice. Um, and again, we play this at 25 to 1 or better. There's some 28s out there. And, and this one is a bit of a rogue number. You're going to have to go offshore for this one. I haven't seen 80 to 1, but really anything 70 to 1 or better. On Paula Bedosa, I think, is a really nice bet. Now, she's in the second quarter, so um, would have to get through Ega just to get to the final, which can be tough. But is it a nice spot in the draw? Um, we'll eventually probably have to play a little right back, you know, which, you know, really is going to be her toughest match. But once she gets through there, again, she's back to kind of being a comfortable favorite here. Owns Jabor's at the top of the quarter. She's soaking up a bunch of equity, but has really had a poor start to the year and generally struggles here. So like the spot here for Bedosa, a nice big number. So three outrights here in Indian Wells on the women's side. Benchich, again, 25 to 1 or better. Kudamatova, 25 to 1 or better. Or Bedosa, 70 to 1 or better. And to fill out the tournament, Matt, um, we have qualifiers, which is kind of fun. I actually like this about tennis that we like. It's a good way to figure out, fill out the bracket. It seems more fun than like the extra four games in the tournament. I just like that I'm seeing some plus money numbers here. That's what I see an over. I see a plus my, I see some plus monies. I'm in. I want to, I want to hear all about them. All right, let's get into it. Um, just two bets and qualifiers. You know, again, we're down to the last, um, I believe it's eight matches of qualifiers here. And a lot of those lines are pretty solid, but um, two numbers I like quite a bit. Anna Karolina Schmidlova plays against Laura Siegmund in what should just be a war of a first set. Try to stack this one up if you can. Um, wasn't able to do that yesterday, but got our first set over. And kudos to anybody that was able to stack that one up. Uh, should be a great first set. Again, expecting 7-5, seven, 7-6 seven, here. Um, had this number, honestly, closer to 10. So, you know, to be able to get over 9.5, even at standard juice, would be great. There's a plus 105 out there. So, like that quite a bit. And then an underdog, Christina Buxa, um, which I always want to say Buxa, but you know, That's Honestly, I, when I saw that, I thought the same thing. 
It's not misspelled, folks. You got to look Buxa, um, a really great player. And again, uh, what kind of the market biases? A lot of these um, Spanish players seem to get downgraded on hard courts for whatever reason. With the general thought being that historically they played a lot more clay tennis than they have hardcore tennis, but Books has got a couple of years of WTA level hardcore tennis under her belt. All the numbers look really good. Um, she goes up against Elena Gabriela Rue, someone that again I fade quite a bit, and so uh, you know disagree with the market there. Generally like Books, so this looks like a nice spot. I had this match honestly closer to kind of a pick of maybe Rue's a short favorite, and again a lot of that's adjusting kind of out of respect for some of the sharper books here that again have Rue's as a solid favorite. So you know kind of my raw number I started is almost a pick of. I like Books quite a bit here at plus 150. So happy to play her. That one will be about 3.30 Eastern, and then the first one will be 2 p.m. Eastern. So you got some time to get that in. And um, There's baseball happening. There's some sort of baseball event. Well, we got, we talk, uh, do, do we have anything to say about that? We're not getting to the World Baseball Classic yet. We'll get there. Okay. Um, I want to watch a little bit more first. We do still. We, we have some MLB futures, which is what I'm still trying to dive into a little bit more here. Um, some might call this a homer pick, but he's not a White Sox anymore. Um, but I am I'm going with first off Jose Abreu to lead the AL and RBI or to lead the majors in RBIs, excuse me. Um, last year was a down year for him a little bit in terms of RBI production only had 75, but he still hit uh, 304, which is, you know, third best batting average of his career. Prior to that, he finished second in the, in the MLB and RBIs in, in uh, 2021, first in 2020, first in 2019. And in any season he's played 140 games plus he's had a hundred, uh, 100 plus RBIs. He now goes to a Astros lineup where he's going to hit like fifth or sixth. He's probably not going to be your fourth or third or fourth hitter because that lineup is so deep, but that's just going to give him even more chances with good players in front of him on base. I think he's going to be in a great chance to drive in a bunch of runs. I think with how deep that lineup is, people are, teams are going to be forced to pitch to him. And I think last year, the quote unquote down year where you saw his power numbers dip a little bit was more of an indictment on the White Sox approach. If you look at their lineup, home runs were down throughout the entirety of it. Um, he was still producing. He was still picking up hits. And I think you're going to see those power numbers return a little bit this year, especially with a really deep Houston lineup. And for a guy that's, you know, been first or second in the AL and RBIs three of the four, uh, three of the last four years, I think there's some real value there for a really, really good Houston team. And that leads me into the Astros to be the AL one seed at plus 230. Not a ton of value there, but for, I mean, if you look at the AL, it's really just going to come down to the Astros, the Yankees. And I know the Yankees went out and got Carlos Rodon. I know the Astros lost Justin Verlander, but the Astros are still really deep in that pitching rotation. Lance McCullers is healthy. They have Frank. Fran Valdez, excuse me, they have Christian Javier, all really good last year. The lineup is as good as anybody in baseball, and they go ahead and add Jose Abreu to it. They're really, Yuli Gurriel was a fine player, but first base was kind of their weak spot, and they go from a, a middle-of-the-road offensive first baseman to a guy that's, like I said, led the, art, led, the, led the majors in RBIs two of the last four years and as good of a hitter as Jose Abreu, who's also playing with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder this year. He wasn't totally thrilled with how, with, uh, how things ended with the White Sox, and he kind of said that in an interview last week. So I, I think you're going to see a very motivated Jose Abreu to prove that he's not really done yet, that he was last year is a little bit more of a fluke. So I like him at 40-1 to 1 to lead the, lead the, a, the MLB and RBIs, excuse me. And that one seed of plus 230, I'm also talking to Dan and you a little bit before, I'm going to take a little bit of the, the Iga Shriantec to win the French Open futures approach where I'm going to start throwing some futures parlays with that Astros AL1 seed because, I mean, that plus 230 really juices things up. And I did check the Iga price to win the French Open. It's minus 110 right now, so there's really not a whole lot of value to it. There still might take it, but we'll see. But, like, 
Astros to win the there's Astros value be, in that number. There's still value in that number. I'll take it. But parlay that parlay that with Astros to win the AL, and you got like a plus five thirty parlay, which is kind of nice. You parlay the Astros to win the AL with the Bruins to win the Stanley Cup, who've been the best team in hockey all year. It goes from you know plus four hundred for them to win to plus fifteen fifty. So Dan's talked about it too, but I think there's some really good value there to juice your juice your futures parlays with with some Astros to win the AL number one seed I just don't buy into the Yankees yet I still need to see more out of my like I said I know they added some pitching but like that lineup was really really inconsistent at the end of the year and if it was they had the great start to the year where they got to like 51 and 19 or whatever the hell it was but then really really fell off towards the end and they're just a, a step below Houston for me so I, I think it's Houston and everybody else in the AL so I really like that value of plus 230. What do you think about this Alvarez MVP bet here I hear this Jordan Alvarez guy is good at hitting baseballs. He's really good at hitting baseballs. The problem is he's a primary DH and they don't tend to give those guys MVPs all that often. Can it happen? Absolutely. Um, but you're going to need him to stay perfectly healthy. Like he's got a going to have to play 150 games pretty much. And he's going to have to leave no doubt between himself, between judge, between Shohei Otani, between Mike Trout, like he's going to have to no doubtedly, there can't be a question about who had the better year that, uh, um, of him and those three other guys. So it's tough, but like it's 16 to one, he's going to be a guy that's going to hit probably 40 home runs and probably challenge for 50. So if you get down years from those other guys, which Otani in a contract year doesn't seem likely, um, it, it might be worth a shot at 16 to one. Yeah, the Otani thing kind of messes it up. He's one of those guys like, why yeah, like, is Braun MVP every year? Yeah. Why is Otani just MVP? I mean, every like last year, he almost, the angels were terrible last year. And I mean, judge ended up pulling away towards the end, but I mean, the talk was into September, like, well, he still probably could win AL MVP and maybe should, even though the angels were a terrible baseball team. So, and he was going up against, you know, captain of the Yankees, Aaron judge, like that should be the prototypical. He's going to win the MVP every year kind of guy. And Otani was still in the talk. So it's, it's going to be tough for anybody to dethrone Shohei Otani as like the consistent presence atop the AL. And now Judge is there too. I think it's going to be those two and everybody else for the foreseeable future. Well, I guess Otani might be leaving the, the AL soon, but we'll see about that. Did you realize that you and I have a rivalry game here in college basketball? St. Joe's, Loyola, Chicago. I'm not a Loyola, Chicago guy. <laughs> I'll honestly probably root for you. I'll probably root for St. Joe's. I, I kind of forgot St. Jo- Joseph's now has oh, uh, had a basketball team. Good for them. I mean, are you, do you got any college basketball action? Well, Sal, my Explorers are going to play Rhode uh, Island today. I got to find some uh, action in that. Honestly, I threw it up on Betsburg yesterday. It's like, start sending me conference tournament futures. I don't really know what to bet, and I want something to root for. So I got to go check the comments. Hopefully, I got some good ones there. But no, like, I, I've been trying to get into college basketball, and I'm into it a little bit since the NFL ended. But like, Still haven't gotten into it too consistently. The only strategy I think I'm probably going to go with is fading the Big Ten in the first and second round of the NCAA tournament because it seems like it every, year, every year they're the team they're the team that gets eight or nine in. It's like, oh, they're they're the deepest league. And then they lose to Mountain West teams, they lose to SEC teams, they just seem to not be able to, to turn it into that tournament style. So well that, that's probably what I'm going with. But I would like some conference championship features. So if anybody's got them out there, feel free to send them my way. We'll have to shake only if they're going to win. Only if they're going to win. I only want if they're going to lose. Don't send them to me. That's good. That's true. So thanks everybody. And honestly, when you're done, leave here. Go over to Betsburg's Golf. I just harass Andy for college basketball bets. Um, he'll have to give them out. You know, basically go over there and shake them down. But thanks everybody. I think that's all we've got. Um, again, thanks again for all the comments. Give us a thumbs up and a like and all that great stuff. And we'll see you tomorrow for a little Hump Day action.